Brian, I believe we are live. <laughs> oh, we are live? Okay, we're all right. Live. We're ready to go. All righty. Uh, welcome to Trib Talk. I was just seeing if there's any of the latest election results or news yeah, on yeah. Twitter. Good. So uh, I'm as I'm extremely online, I am your extremely online host for today, <laughs> Brian Schott, political correspondent for the Salt Lake Tribune. I'm joined by Andy Larson, data columnist for the Tribune, and we're going to be going over some of the results from the 2020 election, we still don't know who won in the 4th Congressional D- District between Ben McAdams and Burgess Owens. We'll get to that in a minute. Uh, we'd love to hear your questions about elections both here in Utah and what's happened across the country as we are still waiting for uh, the results or I guess the process to work itself out in a number of states, even though uh, it looks like uh, Democrat Joe Biden is the president-elect. So you can send us your questions couple of ways to do that. You can do it on Twitter using the hashtag TribTalk, or you can send it uh, via email to TribTalk at sltrib.com or leave a question for us on our Facebook page where you're watching this. So thanks for joining us today. Uh, Andy, let's just let's start from the top and work our way down. Uh, here in Utah, uh, the race for, for president, no surprise that Donald Trump won. Um, his lead has expanded quite a bit. Well, not quite a bit, by a few percentage points since election night. And he's up by 21 points right now, which is much better than he did in 2016. He's got about uh, 53, no, 58% of the vote, which is also better than what he did in 2016. Um, and, and that's to be expected because there's not a third party candidate like Evan McMullen on the ballot. Uh, but I am surprised that Joe Biden is uh, dropping a little bit. He's at about 37 percent, which if that holds, it would be the best showing for a Democrat in the state since Hubert Humphrey in 1968. Um, but uh, still, it's got to be very di- disappointing for Dem- Democrats who are hoping he would do do better. Yeah, look, I mean, you look at the the polls that we got, you know, we looked at the Y2 analytics poll. We looked, you know, there were a couple other polls that were done in the months leading up to the election. And we generally saw that there was a, you know, seven to 17 point difference really between the two candidates rather than a 20 to 25 percent difference between the candidates that, that we're seeing in the actual election results. And I think that's something that we've seen across the country, right, is polling that whether it was inaccurate polling or if it was Republicans kind of coming home to their guy at, at, in in the final days of the election, uh, Donald Trump earned more votes than expected. And, and you know, I think that's that is something that reflects, uh, you know, the, again, Utah is kind of reflecting that that larger national picture. You know, it's it's funny. This felt like uh, one of the, you know, we in 2016, you had the Evan McMullen stuff. You, in, in 2012, there was obviously Mitt Romney running and his own uh, influence in Utah politics. And so this felt like the first referendum on a, on a presidential election that didn't that Utah didn't have a, a personal stake in for, for the last 12 years. Right. And so I think it's it's you know, it's useful to kind of get a, an idea of where the electorate stands on uh, kind of just the Republican versus Democratic uh, side on on maybe probably a relatively unpopular rel- Republican candidate in Utah, but still, you know, it's it's definitely enough to win the state. I was going to bring that up because I, I don't think it's going to be a clear re- referendum of where the state stands because Donald Trump is uh, unpopular in the state. His approval ratings have hovered right around fifty percent since he got elected. Um, he has a, he does it looks like he's going to end up with about fifty eight, maybe fifty nine percent of the vote, but that's still far below what we've seen from recent re- Republican uh, uh, presidential c- candidates in the state. And this state, I mean, 
the 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 GOP holds a five to one registration advantage over the the Democrats. So you know, uh, any any illusions that this state's going to go purple anytime soon uh, are pretty much far fetched. But um, I'm wondering, as as a numbers guy. Have you tried to wrap your head around what went wrong with polling this year? Because this was a really bad systemic polling error. And I don't know if I I still don't buy the idea of uh, shy Trump voters. I don't buy that at all. I don't buy uh, some, uh, you know, the silent majority argument that people were making. But I was speaking with someone who sort of wired into the uh, into the polling world and they said, Weird stuff happens when Trump's on the ballot, and we've seen it twice now. Um, so I'm wondering if you've been able to, as, as a guy who looks at numbers, sort of get a sense of what went wrong or what needs to be fixed uh, before the next election, because the polling industry is not going to go away, despite what some people say that we should scrap it. You need it in order to govern effectively, because other than that, you're just going with with your gut. So I'm wondering if you have any thoughts on that. Yeah, you know, it's, it's interesting. I, I think it's it's funny that, you know, even the biggest polling errors were in states like Utah, where uh, you you saw a, a huge advantage for Donald Trump in, in states that, you know, are expected to be bigger Republican states that looked like they were tightening in polls. And then obviously you saw like eight point misses in Wisconsin, uh, bigger, you know, big ones in, in Pennsylvania, Florida missed by five points, so on and so forth. Um I think it's time that we move to a next generation of of polling and modeling. And, you know, this may be my my sports uh, analytics side coming out. But, I, I you know, I'm thinking about the, the state of uh, affairs baseball analytics was in 15, 20 years ago when, you know, there was a money balls coming out. And we we're first starting to understand the, the, the power of all of this uh, real data that we have on hits and runs and, and on base percentage and. Uh, all this kind of all these kind of baseball terms, right? But what where baseball analytics has really gone in the last five to ten years is actually kind of digging into what's actually happening on the field. So rather than measuring a pitcher performance by ERA, how many runs they give up, let's actually look at how fast their fastball is, and let's look at how much movement there is on their curve. And you know, I maybe the politics of this would be let's look at what's actually happening on social media. Let's look at the conversations that people are having real life in their communities around these candidates. Uh, and, and obviously social media can be skewed and there are bots and, you know, but there are also ways to detect what's going on out there that are, I, I think are getting closer to the heart of the American electorate than calling them people up in, in an age where, you know, I, I don't know about you, Brian, but I get inundated with 10 spam calls a day, you know, and uh, you know, I don't know that, Amazon Mechanical Turk is the answer. And I don't know that SurveyMonkey yeah. is the answer. You know, I, I, I don't know that like these text or online polls are the answer, but I think there needs to be some reckoning that the, the data that we have is, is incomplete and is, and we're doing worse at, it's doing a, a, a lesser job at, at estimating where the electorate actually stands. And, you know, given that we can add in some other pieces to the model, I, I, I think that's something that we need to evaluate doing as kind of a, a polling uh, a polling group, a polling name. I don't know what to say. Yeah. <laughs> the people who run these kind of industry to look at. Yeah. Um, that's a good point. If you have a question about the uh, 2020 election uh, that you'd like, uh, or a topic you'd like us to discuss, you can send it uh, on Twitter using the hashtag trib talk, or you can send it via email at trib talk 
at sltrib.com. One last thing about polling before we move into some of the other results. Uh, really, the only poll that got it right leading up to the election was the Selzer poll out of Iowa. Um, I don't know if you paid attention to that, but um, uh, she and Selzer was right on when that poll came out. Everybody was like, there is no way that this thing is right because it is so far from all the other results. And in digging into that a little bit, uh, she did something that the other pollsters did not do. She did not wait for education. Everybody else tried to add an educational component doing their uh, waiting at the end. And she didn't do that. And she got it right, right on. So uh, that tells you something uh, that, that uh, pollsters are still trying to wrap their heads around ways uh, to get everything right. And so uh, I guess my, my advice is if you look at stories that are quoting the exit polls coming out of this those exit polls are trash they are total trash we have no idea what 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 would happen there um and so uh uh just just look into that uh real real quick we have a question uh, from joe on facebook and he says are polling errors due to fewer landlines i'm guessing yeah yeah you know and honestly it's just i think it's it's something that it's harder to reach people and and get really what they're what they're thinking i mean certainly the, the cell phone data we have is less accurate than the landline data that you people used to have just, you know, quite frankly, from you could use the white pages and get everyone in who lived in an area. And now you certainly can't do that. And so it's, it's harder to model the electorate. I think the, your education point is really interesting because, you know, waiting by education was something that was introduced into polling really after the 2016 election. Exactly. Trump got more votes than expected. Right. And, and so we figured, okay, maybe this education thing would, would allow us to get a closer idea of what's going on weighted by, by education and still some of the same mistakes happened in in the same direction. If anything, you would have expected the opposite. So um, it's, again, it's, it's one of those things that makes really clear. Yes, we need better data. And, and, you know, I think the landlines is, is, is part of that conversation. Yeah, there's a whole bunch of stuff that the polling industry needs to to figure out um, and and again get their heads around because uh, you know I I just don't think that people are going to tr- trust polls for quite a while. Uh, let's take a look at some of the the statewide results. Um, the, Spencer Cox, as expected, won. Uh, you know, Republicans held all the statewide seats. Anything in those numbers that you've been look looking at jump jump out at you? Was there anything that uh, as you've been dig- digging into the numbers, been coming in uh, that 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 was something that you went like, whoa, I did not expect to. To, to see that. Yeah, I mean, not hugely, you know, really, you, you know, obviously we knew Spencer Cox was going to win, right? And and so you, you're looking at comparisons to, to previous elections to see, you know, did the electorate move at all? Um, and, and so, you know, it's it's a, it, he got a smaller percentage of the vote than Gary Herbert did in, in 2016. But as he pointed out on Twitter, the, the biggest percentage of a vote that a, a first-term candidate has gotten uh, in, in the race and, you know, in the last 40 years since, you know, we, there was once upon a time, there was a Democratic governor in Utah, believe it or not. Mm-hmm. Uh, <laughs> and, and so, you know, I, I think it's it's one of those things where um, it, it's he performed basically as expected. Um, I, it's pretty clear that the the COVID-19 response uh, didn't play a huge role in, in changing the minds of 10 or 20 percent of voters. You know, maybe you can average a change two to five percent, but in a in a state like Utah, in an electorate like Utah, you know, you're, you're, it just doesn't 
doesn't matter. <laughs> yeah, I agree with that. It's a good point. Although I think that that I that uh, point that uh, I got the most votes of the first time candidate. That's stupid. It, it all depends on on who your uh, on who your opponent was. Because if you look back at John Huntsman when he ran for the first time in two thousand and four, he was going against the son of that former Democratic governor, mm-hmm. and that was a, it was a really good race. They ran a great race, and so you would have expected Scott Matt Mathis Jr. to do quite well. So uh, your opponent matters, um, and he still won. And uh, you know. Let's move move on from that. If you have some questions for us, uh, we've got about twelve minutes left here in the in the program. Uh, you can send them to us on Facebook uh, if, if that's where you're watching. Also on Twitter using the hashtag uh, #TribTalk or via email TribTalk at sltrib.com. Okay, the race that everybody's been paying attention to is in Fourth Congressional D- District. Um, you know that's between uh, Ben McAdams and Bur- Burgess Owens. Uh, the lead has flipped back and forth a couple of times, just like it did in 2018. If you remember. Mia Love was leading until uh, the final, until that Monday, right before the final canvas, uh, and that's when Ben McAdams took a lead and declared vic- vic- victory. And uh, and then uh, the next day, that was con- confirmed by 694 votes. We're around the same margin again. Everybody I talked to expected a close race. Um, you know, I'm not going to ask you who's going to win because I think it's going to be close no, no matter what. But uh, what are you expecting to see? I th- I think the lead could flip back and forth a couple more times. Um, I do know that the McAdams camp is feeling fairly good about where they are. Um, but uh, again, we don't know where the remaining votes are. We don't know how many there are. So it's really hard to model what might might happen. Yeah. And, you know, so I, I was talking with Robert Gerke, who's done some really good analysis for an upcoming article, previous articles, and also on Twitter. But um, kind of, again, trying to figure out where this remaining vote is, right? Uh, clearly there are tens of thousands of votes left to be count. How many tens of thousands really matters? You know, if it's, it's, if it's 10 or 20,000 and they come in at only 55% McAdams or 52 or whatever it is, then, you know, the, the math adds up to a, a Burgess Owens win. Um, however, it, it looks like, you know, we're comparing the turnout precinct by precinct to, uh, what happened in 2018 and 2016 and so far, the district, the precincts that have remaining vote left, which would be kind of unexpectedly low number of votes counted so far, are, are generally blue precincts and actually generally are in Mill Creek, um, which is going to be a very heavily McAdams uh, that's where I'm area. At. And so, and, and, you know, and, and that's going to be um, so if those votes do come in and those are the latest counted votes, that's where McAdams is going to see some some changes. Now, I think where Burgess Owens can take some some optimism is in the fact of how the how the voting patterns change during the course of the election. And and this is something, you know, I've been looking at a lot during the last few weeks is the early voting. When the early votes first started to come in and be processed, we saw party registration. It was generally about 25 percent Democrats voting in in October 15th, October 16th, uh, about 25% 25% of the votes that came in were from registered Democrats. By the end of the election, November 1st, November 2nd, uh, those early votes, actually only 10% of them were made up by Democrats. And so it seemed like Democrats were very excited to get their votes in early, their mail-in votes early, uh, and processed early. And, and then there was kind of an enthusiasm surge from Republicans later on. And those might be primarily the, the votes that we're counting now, right? Yeah. So along with the, the election day turn-ins and, you know, ones that were dropped in the mailboxes, right? So, or the, you know, the, the drop-off boxes. So um, it, it's, 
uh, you know, I think that would be where you would get some optimism if you're Burgess Owens and, and why some of these splits may not have been as pro uh, McAdams as we expected over the last couple of days. And yet still, given that the, the Mill Creek turnout is as low as it has been, expecting more votes there. Again, it, it, I, I think McAdams campaign is right to feel optimistic about how this will turn out. I think one thing that we need to factor in for is um, I'm guessing that this remaining vote, just based on what happened nationwide, might be trending a little bit more to the conservative side. So I think Mm -hmm. that that's cause for uh, concern on on the McAdams camp. Um, But uh, it may come down to the provisionals, and that's what that's what uh, uh, helped make Adams over the finish line last time because those provisionals broke for him by more than two to one. So if there are a lot of provisional votes left in Salt Lake County in the fourth, um, that could help him quite a bit. So again, um, you know, I've I've seen uh, I've seen Rob, Robert's analysis on on Twitter, uh, the spreadsheet that he's running, what he's written for the Tribune, um, and it's just bringing back flashbacks of 2018 when everybody was doing math online trying to figure out who was going to end up winning the this thing. Um, it's uh, there's there's so much attention being paid to this, uh, and I'm not name name dropping here, but if you're on Twitter, uh, you know Dave Wasserman. He's he's all up in my email trying to figure out what's what's going on uh, because uh, this is one of the last remaining seats to be called. So uh, we're expecting more numbers to come in a little bit later this afternoon. Um, but again, if it's anything like it was in 2018, we're not going to know. Um, uh, uh, we're, 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 we're not going to know until Monday, you know, until a week from y- yesterday and the final count is uh, coming in uh, on Tuesday. Uh, if you have some questions, let us know uh, on Facebook. You can do that uh, also on Twitter using the hashtag TribTalk or email uh, uh, TribTalk at sltrib.com. So Dave comes in and says, who actually calls the winner of the election? The media, senators, people seem to be confused. Well, it they're not calling the election, okay? That's, uh, uh, the media, the people who do math, uh, who are much better at, the, at it than I am, um, they're doing pro- projections. And so they pro- project the winner of the race. So if you're hearing the, the media called it, it's not the media who called it. The, we, the media says, we're looking at the numbers, what's remaining, what's out there. And we are pro- projecting based on the trends that we're seeing that this person wins. So uh, uh, a couple of days before Saturday, Decision Desk HQ came out and declared um, Biden the winner, and they're quite good at that sort of thing. So they declared Biden the winner, and then on Saturday morning, CNN went, and then everybody followed almost immediately. Um, so if uh, so, they're declaring some someone the winner. If whoever calls the election, well, it's that story that's going on right now, and it's in the Washington Post this morning. Uh, it's the General Services Administration who calls the election because uh, they decide whether it's time to start the transition between one presidency and another. And right now, they're refusing to to do so. So I guess that's who officially calls the election. Um, uh, and Andy, do 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 you have any thoughts on that? Yeah. And, you know, I, I think in general, the, the media was very conservative in calling it this year. You know, you, you could really yeah. make the case that uh, on Wednesday, Thursday, Friday, we certainly knew who was going to be the next president of the United States based on the votes that were coming in in Pennsylvania, Arizona, Nevada. Uh, and, and there was just, you know, the, the chances of a, a President Trump comeback uh, were non-existent. And so, um, you know, I, I think they were conservative in calling it, and rightfully so. You know, they really wanted to get Pennsylvania out of the margin of a recount. And once it was outside of that 0.5% margin, 
that's when they they felt good about calling the race for Joe Biden. And I think that was a, a useful bit of conservatism by the media. And, I, you know, I think that's, uh, you know, in, in terms of you're right that it's not it doesn't mean anything whether or not the Associated Press or CNN or NBC or whoever calls the election in one direction or the other. But, um, you know, the, the math doesn't add up for Donald Trump. Yeah. Um, if if you're not sure how the, the d- d- decision desks at the different net, net networks work, um, it is a group of people who are sort of se- sequestered from everybody. There's no phones. There's nothing uh, on election night. And they are just watching the numbers roll in. And then they will do math and, and, and they decide to make a call. Um, and, and that's where it is. It's not, it's not the editorial board. It's none of that stuff. So uh, they, they take great pains to se- sequester this group of people who are going to make the call on election night as to who they are pro- projecting to win races and states. So that's how, how that thing works out. And, and they've been just hugely accurate, right? So they've been great. Yeah. <laughs> point, like at some point the, 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 the doubters need to look at the, the track record of these, of these people calling the, the races in individual States and obviously overall and be like, Oh wow, this is, these are highly successful people at what they do. Mm-hmm, exactly. Uh, let's quickly talk about what's going on in Salt Lake County. Um, the Democrats did well there. Uh, and that's probably one of the few areas of the states where they did well. Um, and, and it surprised a lot of Republicans because they thought they had some good candidates um, across the board for Salt Lake County and some of the other races. It reminds me of what happened in 2018, in which Republicans thought they had a shot at a number of races in Salt Lake County, and they kind of got pasted. So what do they do? They turned around and got rid of the straight t- ticket voting option on ballots because they thought that was helping dem- Democrats disproportionately in that area. Uh, but it just didn't work out for them. It looks like uh, the Democrats are going to, uh, they, they held a lot of the big seats in, in Salt Lake County, um, although some of the county council seats will flip, flip around. We can talk about that later. But um, uh, three seats that I wanted to talk about a real fest are HD 38, Ashley Matthews over Eric Hutchings. That's down to 420 votes. That's a close one. Lynette Wendell over Representative Jim Dunnigan. That's 54 votes as we talk. And then uh, in HD 45, Wendy Davis over Representative Steve Ellison by 337 votes. That's almost half of what it was on election night. So those races are closing. um, And uh, it's looking more tenuous that the Democrats will pick up those those three seats that they thought. So that's that's what I've looked at those, uh, I guess, from from a three a 30,000 foot level. What numbers are you seeing in Salt in Salt, Salt Lake County? And did the Democrats do as well uh, as it looks to from someone who's just t- taking an overall look at it? Yeah, you know, it's it's funny. You you we've been working on this map of how the, the Salt Lake County House districts have changed from 2018 to 2020, and, and, and really over the last 10 years, and it, it's been interesting to see kind of the the southward and westward growth of the of the blue in the map, if you will. You yeah. know, there there is it used to be just kind of the Salt Lake City proper and and Mill Creek, and, you know, kind of the the traditionally blue areas in Salt Lake City, and now you're seeing pockets of blue in in Sandy and you know Midvale, Murray, as you get kind of closer and further down south in, in the county and. Uh, you know, I, I think uh, the, the idea that straight ticket or straight voting, uh, straight balloting would, would change the, the race in, in significant ways uh, never made a ton of sense. You know, I, I think people are 
they're not hugely familiar with their House candidates, but I, I do think that if they don't know what they are, they're going to vote for the, the laundry, right? They're going to vote for the Republican or Democrat side, whatever they feel more, more, more comfortable with. And it's been relatively clear that there has been an expansion in Democratic voting in Salt Lake County over the last 20 years, um, even when you just look at things like the presidential and, and the congressional races. So I think it, it makes sense that that trend would continue in our, in our state and House and Senate races as well. Yeah, it's 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 interesting to note, and I tell this to a lot of people who uh, say, you know, it looks like the Dems are ma- making gains. I'm like, yeah, well, don't 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 get you used to it because we've got redistricting coming up sure. next year, and they're going to change everything. So we are right at the end of the 2010 redistricting si- cycle. We're right at the end of that. This was the last election that we'll have under those numbers. Um, and what you usually see is uh, a lot of those d- districts starting to change in their makeup quite a bit, so they don't look like they did when they were drawn uh, at the beginning of the de- de- decade. So, um, you know, uh, don't expect the, the Democrats to hang on to those seats because all of them are going to get carved up again uh, uh, as as uh, the legislature starts that process uh, by by picking the committee this, this year and then going through it within the uh, next year. One last question before we go. Aaron on Facebook. Now that our country has a female vice president elect, do you think the likelihood of a female U.S. president being elected may occur in the next 20 years? I, I just don't know. I mean, I, I grew up in the in the, the 1980s, and the feeling was in the 1980s that the first black president of the United States was going to be from the GOP. That was just the conventional wisdom at the time because they thought that – uh, uh, the, the Democratic Party was too liberal. Um, uh, you had J- Jesse Jackson and the Rainbow Push co- Coalition at the time. Um, and so the, the general feeling was that the first black president was going to be a Republican, and that just did, did, didn't happen. So I have no clue what's going to happen. Um, politics is what about 60 to 70% about timing. You have to be the right person at the right time, able to take advantage of whatever happens. Uh, Don, Donald Trump was the right person at the right time in 2016, right? Uh, uh, and it looks like Joe Biden might, at least the way the timing worked out for him. Um, so Lord knows, I, I have no clue. Andy, do you, do you have any thoughts on that? Yeah, I think you're absolutely right. I think it's about rather than kind of the the growth of um, women and in, in their representation in, in politics, and certainly we're seeing uh, more GOP and Democratic women in in the in Congress than ever before. I think you have to say, okay, who are the right people, and you know what what are the chances of those people being elected in the next twenty years? And you know, I think you you look at the potential candidates. You know, if if you go really leftward, you can go as Alexandria Ocasio Cortez. Uh, honestly, I think Stacey Abrams is kind of potentially on that path. Uh, yeah. Obviously, Elizabeth Warren uh, maybe. This may have been her best shot, but it also yeah. deserves to be named timing. in the conversation. And you're That's right. Timing, it, it's yeah. totally about timing and, and how that and, and how it works out. Um, you know, I, I'd say maybe the bench is a little bit more shallow on the GOP side in terms of women who, yeah. you know, really uh, have high ambitions in, in, in terms of, uh, of politics. And, and you, you can really kind of chart a path for them, um, be the, the next president. And yet you're right. Like just crazy, unexpected things happen based on what the electorate wants at that time. And certainly Donald Trump was unexpected in 2016. I think it's too soon to say what could happen in 2040 based on what we know in 2020. 
Yeah, g- given the 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 demographic trends in this country, I would not be surprised if we had a female chief executive uh, within the next 20, 20 years. I, it would not shock me at all. But who who is it going to be? I have no idea. But uh, the the Republicans uh, who would like to have that um, uh, spot in twenty twenty four, they're already running. Um, in fact, I've I've talked to people, and they said that the one GOP potential candidate for four years from now who's really active in Iowa, which is one of the early states that they're going to need to win that, 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 the nomination is Christy Nome, the governor out of, uh, out of, uh, North D- Dakota, I believe, or, or South, South, South Dakota. Dakota. It's, yeah, it's, it's South Dakota. Yeah. She's, she's really active in Iowa. So, you know, it's starting. And, um, the thing is once one thing happens, then more things like that tend to happen because there's not an excuse for people to say, ah, it's not going to happen anymore. Now they can look at Kamala Harris and say, well, you know, there's the first one. So here comes the next one. And that seems, that seems to be the way it goes. Uh, Andy, thank, thank you for your time. It's been fun. Yeah. I, I, I enjoy, Thanks. I enjoy uh, uh, pouring over the numbers. Thank you for watching. And uh, we'll be back with, with another trip, trip talk. Actually, I, I won't and Andy won't, but, but someone will <laughs> on next, next, uh, next, next next week thanks